I'm surprised I haven't been kicked out of my building by now. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tuesday nights even, but, you know. <laughs> yeah, have fun. Good of a time to party, isn't he? Right, of course. It's Tuesday. Of course. <laughs> this is a mistake. What brought me to Birmingham from Meridian? Man, I don't know. It's kind of like, so I, when I was in, I went to college in Tuscaloosa. Okay. And I always kind of viewed Birmingham as an extension of that, yeah. like more of an industrial kind of ugly extension of Tuscaloosa. <laughs> yeah. This is circa early 2000s. So I graduated college and I had this fantastic internship in Los Angeles working for a friend who was a producer. And she had greenlit this uh, film called Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. And before going out there, she kind of shared with me some of the stuff they had in development and kind of the plans and and the guy the director uh of that movie was a guy named Kerry Conran and he developed the software uh that was used in that movie where they had this kind of seamless way of integrating live action film with two-dimensional photography and 3d animation mm. and uh super fascinating and so he had put together kind of this reel of sorts kind of like this treatment I think it was like five or six minutes long and, and she showed it to me and I was just like incredibly fascinated and I've always been fascinated with film anyway. I mean, it's just such a cool industry and, and art form, but, um, but yeah, I, I saw that and I was like, I, I want to, I want to do this. <laughs> like, how do, how do I, how do I, how do I get involved? And yeah. so she was like, come out when you graduate intern, this is, this is being made. Yeah. And at the time I didn't know who was going to be in it or anything like that. I didn't know like this is a large scale, small scale. I didn't care. I just wanted to kind of get immersed and, you know, see if this was something I wanted to do long term or not. And, you know, then I, you know, they cast like Jude Law and Angelina Jolie and Gwyneth Paltrow. And this is sounding like big budget production. Yeah. And I'm like, let's go. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I got out there and it what was originally supposed to be about a three-month internship and just kind of a break from college turned into about a month month and a half of kind of chaos really <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i don't know it was I mean, definitely a learning experience but you know the money that i had saved up certainly didn't last very long and in <laughs> three months you know turned into a much shortened period and i was like all right so <laughs> so i went to to marcia the producer and i was like Here's the deal. <laughs> I've got to uh I gotta pack up and go home or I've gotta find like a real paying job. <laughs> yeah. And then uh she had recently filmed the pilot for a TV show that NBC Studios had picked up and was moving forward and had been green lit and, and she said well, there's a, a position available there in the post production department. Interview, I think you'd be great. And so I, I interviewed and got that job and ended up staying nice. out there for in total, it was like a little less than a year. But uh, yeah, I, I realized really quickly, like, Los Angeles was not a place for me. Yeah. Yeah, I did kind of have this hope or dream of going out there and writing and producing. And I, I felt like very creatively stymied in that mm -hmm. environment. It's almost like information overload. Mm. And not to mention that, you know, you spend a quarter of your life out there in, in the car. Yeah. And much of what I was doing on both those productions was, you know, driving and running errands and right. stuff. <laughs> you know, like glorified assistant. Or yeah. So anyway, I made the decision to come back, you know, pretty quickly when I realized, like, this is not for me. So came back and then um, was bartending for a while. 
eventually landed a job uh, designing architectural signage systems for a, a signage firm in Meridian and then realized, you know, from that experience, I didn't like being stuck behind a desk <laughs> all day, every day. And you know, I didn't get the chance to be as creative as I wanted to be. It was a lot of it was like replicating, yeah. you, know, you know, things that had already been sketched and drawn out and stuff. And so, yeah, so I, I, uh, I was, uh, yeah, this is kind of a funny story. I was, I had simultaneously gotten into boxing. And <laughs> when I was boxing, the guy who was my weight trainer was in pharmaceuticals and had recently started in, or began in pharmaceuticals. And they had a position in Birmingham. And he said, hey, this is something I think you'd be really good at. Would you be interested in looking at it? And I yeah. was like, at this point, you know, being back in Meridian, living with mom and dad post-college things hadn't really worked out yeah. as i'd hoped or planned yeah. and at that point in time anything kind of seemed right. appealing so yeah. i was like <laughs> let's go <Please>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. turned out really well i mean I, you know I, i'm I absolutely hated that first company i went to work for but it, you know it did kind of give me an opportunity to kind of immerse myself in the industry that i still work in and you know simultaneously there were some friends of mine from college who uh, were already living here or were moving moving here and, yeah. and for other opportunities and so we kind of had like this little cohesive group that um you know made it really enjoyable at a time when there really wasn't shit to do in birmingham mm -hmm. yeah so that's long story short story long that's how <laughs> <laughs> that's how i ended up in birmingham what did you go to school for uh, i majored in advertising with a minor in studio art nice it's a cool mix. Yeah. Uh, I, I enjoyed it. You know, college is, it's, it, you get out of it what you put into it. Right. You know, I mean, you, you can literally like coast your way through college on probation if you wanted to. Yeah. And I, you know, I put a lot into it. My college experience is a little different than a lot of people because I, you know, I, there were things I wanted to do. I wanted the full college experience. I wanted to you know, go to football games. I wanted to drink. I wanted to chase girls. You yeah. know, I wanted to do the fraternity thing, all these other things that, in hindsight, some of them were probably mistakes. But, you know, <laughs> but I also, you know, I, I, you know, I was paying out-of-state tuition, and yeah. both of my parents were small business owners and entrepreneurs, and I just didn't come from a whole lot. You right. know, where a lot of my peers I hung out with, you know, they were blessed with greater means and things like that. And, um you know, so for me, I had to work, you know, I had to work really hard. I, at one time, I think for my last two years there, I held three different jobs at one time. Wow. Yeah. All the while really trying to put as much into the college experience as I could, yeah. you know, from an educational standpoint mm -hmm. right. too. And so, yeah, I, I did. I got a lot out of it. It was a, a real good experience. So the, the studio art side, I mean, I thought at the time, I don't know how it is now, but I mean, Alabama's not an art school. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You want to go to a school for design or something like that. We were talking about this earlier, you know, it's Mississippi State or Auburn. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it served its purpose, and, um, and it was cool. I did learn some cool things, but I really kind of wanted to advance my skills from, you know, a graphic design standpoint, and that wasn't the place to do it. Yeah. So I had to kind of uh, – one of my jobs was I worked at the Crimson White, which is – Alabama's pa you know student paper mm -hmm. and uh, designing ads and that's really where I kind of honed my graphic design skills. It's one of those things you have to jump in and kind of immerse yourself in and learn yourself. Right. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, no, it was it's a cool experience overall. 
Yeah. <laughs> so from from the paper to the paper. The paper to the paper. <laughs> yeah. You're getting back into the paper world. So let's see. I graduated in 2002. So we fast forward. Man, what is that? 18 years almost. Almost. Yeah. 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 And um, yeah, I'm starting a publication. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so I guess I'm a glutton for punishment or <laughs> <laughs> insane one or the other because I do have a you know a full time job and a career in the medical field and but I have this creative side that I have to kind of yeah. explore and I'm also very passionate about music so the paper is um, enabling me to kind of utilize those passions and. Um, I think the community is ready for it. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the paper some? Tell us. Yeah, for sure. Music Beham Monthly mm-hmm. is what it's called, and it originates from a music marketing slash promotional company that's been in existence for five or six years now. Mm-hmm. Music Beham was originally started by a guy named Bert Trotman and JoJo Weber. And JoJo was really the driver of that business, kind of diving into the social media thing, figuring things out, mm-hmm. really growing like a base there from which, you know, they could do some cool things in the marketplace and, and bring in some revenue. And basically uh, what they were doing was promoting for other promoters and kind of like blasting uh, information out to the community about who was, who was playing where and stuff like that. Right. Simultaneously, that was in 2012, uh, I was also starting concept that was almost identical called Mother Plug Music. And we were doing the same thing, but where they were very social media heavy, we are website heavy. Mm. And we weren't necessarily acting on behalf of other promoters as much as we were trying to promote ourselves. So yeah. we actually did some concerts where we, you know, buy and build the talent and then, you know, sold tickets and put on the production and the whole, you know, shebang. So yeah. Very tough game that is, and yes, um, it is. Yeah. <laughs> so y'all know a little something about that, right? <laughs> Maybe a lot. Yeah, but uh, but anyways, we you know the things that they were doing really well, we were sucking at. Yeah. And we were doing some things really well that I think they desired to, so we kept running into each other, and the conversations kind of led into like, why are we not working together? Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And eventually, you know, we did. Bert had gotten really busy with family and he was, uh, you know, a part of the first Broken Bones album and was hired by them to kind of go on tour. So his, his career had kind of taken a different path and Jojo was still very much wanting to be involved, but didn't really want the business responsibility. But I think we, you know, we kind of shared the same vision and he, he's still around as like on a consulting basis, but basically, um, I made him an offer and took over Music Be Him, and it took us a couple of years to really solidify like what we're about to do is like with the paper and stuff. But yeah. uh, between JoJo and I, we've we've brought together a really strong team of some very talented, very creative individuals who are making my life a lot a lot easier than. It's <laughs> <laughs> a big plus. <laughs> it's definitely a big plus. I, I don't know. I'm a I'm a big believer in. You know, like if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're in the wrong room. Mm. Right. You know, for we've had a ton of people help out through the years with Music Be Him and Motherplug Music, who are very passionate about music and very creative. 
but who also had other responsibilities and right. and and things like that. And so we, you know, we're really kind of missing on some follow through and ideas that we've had. I think timing has a lot to do with it too, but just never came to fruition and and stuff. But like you know, with with this situation, like I can say that not only is this group very passionate about music, but they are either experts or just extremely proficient in what they do yeah. and they're bringing a lot to the table and i think the finished product is something that this community is really going to embrace and be super proud of yeah it's exciting yeah, yeah man really thank cool. you thank you i think it's something that's needed definitely something that's needed I, yeah i mean you know someone had brought up my sister actually brought up the idea because she was working in publishing at the time back in mississippi mm-hmm. and she brought up the idea of doing a publication at a time where it seemed like people were running from print mm-hmm. right at the mm-hmm. time and you know i feel like things kind of come full circle and they're cyclical and there's also a balance to promotional efforts but i was uh i was at the 38 songwriters festival down there uh, helping promote will stewart a uh, local musician mm-hmm. who was on the bill this year and i was introducing him to some of the 38 guys and, and getting him some radio play and stuff down there and um we just got done with this one promo and, and uh, met my cousin for lunch who's in publishing. And we kind of talked about the whole Facebook advertising, you know, fiasco and how <laughs> where we've paid for ads and boosted posts and things like that. They just don't really seem to pan out all that no. great. I don't know. It just seems like um, I've put money behind some posts that have done well. Mm. But the vast majority of things that we do, the, the activities that we conduct on social media, if we do it organically, seem to always perform better. Hmm. And I still play around with it. We'll still put a little money behind some things, especially if we do something that's not performing that well or as good as we think. But, you know, we go in there and we like, you read these metrics and it's like, well, you know, 8,000 people apparently saw this ad, but like, it only resulted in like 20 likes and then mm-hmm. yeah you know but 80 people clicked on it and we're giving away free tickets and you're telling me that no one's biting on these tickets yeah. <laughs> like there's something wrong here there's something that just doesn't add up and so when we do it organically it just seems to to work out better so right i don't know facebook i guess they own instagram now i think they're a very powerful company and who knows how that all works their algorithms and stuff but I know it's not as easy to promote things and develop likes and followers as it once was. And Definitely not. It's not at all. <laughs> yeah. It's not. So, well, I'm, uh, my cousin Will, Will Estelle is his name, and he runs a publication down on the panhandle that kind of caters to the tourism uh, industry. And I don't know how much of that he's he's done, but he was definitely you know, pretty well read and on the subject. And I think Facebook was even in some litigation or is currently in some litigation about some of that. Uh, you know, mm. I don't really know, but anyway, he had noticed that his business had kind of turned around where he was struggling at a time when people were running from print and um, a lot of printers went out of business and, and things like that. But I think his, his, you know, his explained to me that his printers were enjoying kind of a resurgence and, publications that they were getting and i mean if you just go look at a rolling stone magazine i mean the quality of their paper and the size of the magazine is vastly improved over the last few years Mm -hmm. when you know i guess maybe five ten years ago it kind of gone like kind of bleak you know like a lot of 
a lot of like popular publications like went out of business. Yeah. So, you know, and then like with the absence of, you know, the Birmingham Weekly and Black and White and Weld, we did our research. I mean, we, I, I sent out some surveys and things like that. And, uh, you know, we polled like a ton of people and a lot of people in the demographic that we're kind of targeting utilize those publications for the music content. Yeah. And um, sure. Heather Milam, who ran Weld, I actually uh, had coffee with her this morning, and she said that the music issue always was their biggest revenue generator. Yeah, and mm-hmm. just you know performed so big. And so you know, I think I think Birmingham really uh, cherishes their music community in in a lot of ways. In some ways, I I, I don't think they cherish it enough. I, I kind of hope this magazine or our it's not a magazine, it's a paper. I hope our publication will kind of turn that around somewhat but also give the community something that's, that's been missing. Yeah. When is the launch date? We will be distributing in that last week in May. Nice. So okay. by June 1st, we, we hope that it's a free paper. Oh, cool. You'll be able to pick it up at Rojo, which was my favorite place to pick up, Black and White and Weld. Yeah. You know, over margarita and <laughs> some tacos or something. Yeah. yeah. Grab the paper as you walked in. and But, yeah, different, you know, businesses i mean our distribution is going to be really similar to what weld was we're gotcha. doing the same amount of copies per issue as ten thousand copies per issue and yeah basically the same distribution same businesses and we have even more businesses now who you know we can kind of distribute a paper like that yeah. but i'm um, really concentrating kind of the downtown or greater downtown area right that's so, awesome thanks man it's coming up soon <laughs> don't remind me <laughs> i'm already going gray enough <laughs> It is coming up soon. <laughs> Will it be similar to Weld and like Iron City Inc. in their form? Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. I mean, the very physical. similar. I, I would be surprised if it's not even on the, the same kind of paper stock. Gotcha. You know, basically yeah. the same size. It's roughly this, the size of an album cover, which I, I really like. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up in a record store. I just, cool. You know, so. But yeah, I, it's, it's going to be full color. It's, it's a really white type paper stock, so it's supposed to hold color really well. Yeah. I don't have it in my hand yet. I, I, from what I've heard, is it's a little better quality than what we're used to seeing around here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, I mean, it's a paper, man. Yeah. You know, so I, I doubt many people will really recognize a whole lot about that. What yeah. I, I think they will recognize is that our art director Daniel Boone is he did design and layout for GQ for three years. He's nice. art director at Bell Media. Yeah. He yeah. is such an incredible talent. Yeah. And our idea, since this is a monthly, we, we want it to have kind of a longer shelf life and mm. people desire to have this in their businesses or on yeah. the coffee tables. So he's laid out this paper like you would think of as a magazine. That's mm. awesome. The only difference is the advertising is going to be local. Yeah. And uh, Daniel is, I mean, for what you see, for what people see, I mean, he is completely responsible mm-hmm. and just... Uh, every time like he makes tweaks or changes even like the little like design elements in the paper i'm like when i see it, i'm just like man wow you know yeah. like yeah so happy to have you on board i hope i can keep you around <laughs> you know support as a community we need <laughs> we need yeah. to keep yeah. Daniel around yeah but like you know the whole team though i mean like i don't know if y'all know brent thompson he's uh, music journalist who's been writing and doing interviews here for for years mm-hmm. and and i mean he's he has this knack for reaching people and lending these interviews and getting just like good content mm-hmm. and yeah. asking the right questions. And Katie Mulfield, who is a local singer songwriter, who's just 
I mean, creativity just kind of like pours out of her and, you know, she's, she's not short on creativity, but she's also not short on the follow through either. Yeah. And she's kind of acting as our GM, if you will. And nice. Jojo is like, he, he just knows so many people and he's such a positive, just mm-hmm. awesome person to be around. He's yeah. really good at helping us establish connections and things like that where, you know, not working in this industry full time, it's, it's a little harder for me to be so much in the community. But, uh, you know, something where you know, I'm, I'm working on because, uh, you know, ultimately we, we got to sell it. And that's how yeah. we're going to can keep it up. Yeah. Concept wise, will it be like, wh- are you, what are you going to be highlighting? Kind it's of do like you have some calendar different. Or... Yeah. Calendar. Are you going to do interviews with different bands? Like what is the. the yeah. Content? So uh, the very center of it will mm-hmm. be a. A calendar, music calendar. Sure, cool. Well, first of all, music be hand monthly. It is exactly what we say it is. Yeah, it's free of socioeconomics. There's no politics. Mm-hmm. There's none of that. Mm-hmm. Which in today's landscape, I think is really refreshing. I was about to say that sounds like a breath of fresh air. So it's 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 all music, and our concentration is going to be predominantly local. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So as far as content goes, every cover is going to be a local musician, band, or leader within our music community. Gotcha. Cool. And then I would say content-wise is going to be probably weighed 80-20 local versus like regional or national. So we mm-hmm. will have some regional and national content. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And mm-hmm. we, want, we, we want to. I mean, obviously, I mean, there's like, you know, it's, we have a lot of great acts that come through here. And yeah. Yeah. A lot of up and coming artists who are coming through here, where you know we want to build a market for, we want to see them back, right? Definitely. So, and I also feel like Birmingham is finally starting to get put on the map. Like the amount of artists that are coming through here typically skip over Birmingham and go straight from Nashville to Atlanta. Yeah, and I feel like they're starting to kind of swing down here, and just with some of the venues that we have, yeah, I think that's helped sure. a lot. Like Saturn, I know for a fact has helped just get some better bands down here, and then Iron City. Yeah, absolutely. I mean. In the last five years, we've, I mean, Birmingham in itself has experienced a bit of a renaissance, but our music scene has really experienced a bit of a renaissance. I mean, mm-hmm. I remember, you know, when I first came here, it, you were, it was hard to find, like, original musicians and in, in local bands playing on the reg, or at least finding out about them or what yeah. they were. Yeah. I mean, if it wasn't, honestly, if it wasn't for Bottle Tree, man, I would have moved out of here. Yeah. yeah. That, that Bottle Tree alone kept me in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. And... I think our music scene today, I think you could probably trace all of it back to Bottle Tree to some extent, you know? Yeah, I feel like it was such a like integral part of establishing so much here. Because if you talk to anybody who's been around Birmingham for a while, Bottle Tree comes up at one point or another. Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of cool that it's that, that it kind of helped. It's like the glue that held everything together. Absolutely. And the people that work there have gone on to work at yeah. these other places that are doing such big things yeah even though it's not physically there anymore it's like the the memory and like what it started is still alive which is really cool yeah definitely and it was a stage that locals could share with Mm -hmm. like bigger artists and and, you know people could learn more about them and you know going back to what i alluded to before about how you know why weld's music issue did so well is this community is is really keen on music but I feel like the community could also support our local music scene in a different or better way. Mm-hmm. And what I meant by that was there seems to be something of a stigmata surrounding local musicians. 
as in if you were local or you're just so close to home or maybe because you're so easily accessible that maybe you're not as good, right? right. Mm-hmm. And that's just simply not the case, especially yeah. today more than ever. The level of original musicianship that's coming out of this town is it's, it's something. Yeah. You know, the talent exists here. You know, I, I would say that there's more talent coming out of Birmingham right now than it is a bigger market like Atlanta. Yeah. 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 You know, New Orleans is just a different. Different beast. Weird place. It's <laughs> yeah. almost like it's home country, you know. Yeah. And in Nashville, you know, for what it's worth, I think Nashville, you can't compete with Nashville in a way that Nashville does what it does. I mean, people mm-hmm. go up there. It's almost like if you want to be in film, you move to Los Angeles. Yeah. Right. So much can be lost in that mix, right? Yeah. And if you're taking a stage in Nashville or if you've earned a decent stage in Nashville, you have to be concerned with someone walking in who's looking for a studio player or a tour player or whatever the case. Therefore, I feel like a lot of what you see up there is going to be very tight and, and nothing wrong with that. The musicians up there are absolutely phenomenal. Mm-hmm. But down here, I feel like we don't have that same pressure. And mm-hmm. so I think local musicians have the opportunity to kind of like. It's really emotion based, I feel like. For sure. And I th- well, I mean, all music is. Yeah, but when course. you have the freedom to kind of, you know, go for it yeah. and, and experiment yeah. and not worry about, you know, people down here aren't looking for contracts. They're not looking right. for. Not to say that they, they, they don't want that. I'm sure, yeah, yeah, they desire it. Who's yeah. ever picked up a guitar and didn't dream of holding a stage in front of thousands? Right. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, and we've all stood in front of our mirror with a tennis racket at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but um, maybe I still do sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that, you know, it's, so it's just that I think people in Birmingham are pursuing music, are authentically doing it for you know what it you know the way it feeds their soul and Mm -hmm. i mean i think all musicianship is based in that way but i think particularly in in birmingham there's and there's so much different kinds of music coming out of here right now it's hard to even describe what a birmingham sound is but i i I would say it's not so much of a sound it's an attitude yeah it's there's a gusto to it you know like i feel like there's also a huge community support around it like i mean i can't really i don't really know the music scenes in other cities but as deeply as I feel like I'm learning about it here, but I feel like there is this huge support of not a lot of competition Mm -hmm. and that I see a lot of people from different bands going and supporting other bands or mixing and matching. Like you Mm -hmm. see some of the same people in a lot of different bands. You see the same drummer in all these bands because they want to support each other. And it's just really cool that there is a bit of a competitiveness just in the nature of like, I want my, I want this to be heard, mm-hmm. but, but it's not cutthroat. It's not cutthroat at yeah. all. And it's really cool. Just like having done this show for the last two years to see how many musicians and artists keep coming back to support what we're doing. And then in turn, we like to go and support them. And it's just like this yeah. constant like cycle, which is really, really amazing. It is, it, you know, it's the collaborative Mm-hmm. you know effort and support that i mean maybe it took the number of original or the level of original musicianship that exists here for that to happen but i can remember when i was first starting mother plug music 
there didn't appear to be a lot of collaboration. Not to the extent, not that it didn't exist, but not to the extent that we're seeing now. Yeah. Everybody liked to play other things very close to their chest. And, and even from a promotional standpoint, that's something that always kind of drove me crazy, you know, because uh, in Los Angeles, nothing gets done out there without collaboration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cross promotional activities and, and people working together. And, you know, there's so much more to be gained from that than lost. Yeah. For whatever reason, I think people are kind of, you know, the reason why people play things so close to the chest, whether it's, you know, some idea or something like that, is they're afraid maybe someone's going to steal it or run with it. I, I don't know. Yeah. But in the music business, I will tell you that, especially on my side of the music business, is there's not a lot of money in it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's no credibility. <laughs> you know, <laughs> no one's going to chant my name for putting out a paper. Right. I'm not yeah. the one standing on stage. So, yeah. You know, you're really kind of sacrificing a lot. You're giving a lot of yourself up. But yeah. Or to get the first issue in his face, it's going to be on the front. <laughs> 100%. I don't even play an instrument. I dabble in some sometimes. But um, but uh, but no, I mean, like, you know, it, it's kind of crazy. Like, well, like you know especially in a situation like that like what are you afraid of losing like the amount of money that it costs to invest in something like this or the amount of credibility that you're not going to get like <laughs> there's no glory in it like, yeah you're not losing anything yeah like, let's let's share let's come up with something better like i mean when i was starting mother plug music I, I would look at similar entities and and bigger promoters in town doing the things that i wanted to do and this is a mistake <laughs> looking at those folks looking at your competitors or looking at a peer thinking that you can do it better or because they're doing something well that they're a, they are competition. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, constructive competition is one thing that's, that's good. Right. But you know, I, I did kind of operate initially with a bit of a chip on my shoulder. And I think a lot of that came from the fact that, I brought out something brand new that no one knew anything about, no one knew anything about me, and I am trying to make headway, and it's, you know, a lot of times I was falling flat on my face, and you Mm. realize that, like, people really don't care, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And talking about your competition is that, you know, to think that you can do something better or that they're doing something wrong, I think is a kind of a false way of looking at things, uh, you know, I, because at the end of the day, everyone here is just trying to make it. They're just trying to figure it out. Yeah. You know, they're pursuing what they love and chances are half, if not more of the people also have other responsibilities. If it's not another full-time job yeah, unrelated right. or a family at home or whatever the case. Yeah. So, you know, for those reasons, you know, everyone's just doing the best they can. But, it, you know, yeah. it, it, it takes time. It takes a lot of patience to, you know, I think grow something. And if it doesn't come from a good place, then it's never going to see the light of day. 100%. That's my philosophy on it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like a pretty good one. Yeah. <laughs> I can stand behind that. <laughs> so looking at the, the first, not to tip the hat too much, but the first issue... Mm-hmm. Can you tease kind of what's in it or who to look <laughs> out for? I don't tease this much. It's it's one of my favorite duos, you know, currently performing in Birmingham. They just signed with a pretty major label. And, uh, you know, when for, you know, any member or group of our music community is a win for the overall community, in, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, look at what St. Paul and the Broken Bones has done for 
putting Birmingham on the map and, and other musicians and things like that. So, you know, it, it those kind of wins bring attention to Birmingham. So this duo is, they're the cover of the first issue. The reason why I can't really share a whole lot more is because their label is, has some restrictions on, and they have their own promotional schedule and on how news right. is oh, released yeah. and yeah. things like that. Definitely. So something I'm, I'm not super used to working with because I'm like, oh, this is good news. We're yeah. shedding it in a good light. This is journalism. Like, you yeah. know, so. <laughs> yeah, so you'll, you'll, you'll just have to wait and read it. I, I'll tell you, <laughs> the thing that I was afraid of, like when you're interviewing, like most of our features are, are in the form of interviews. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have some other like creative writing type stories and stuff i'm sure but um i mean most of it's like in the form of interviews but you got to worry about being repetitive asking the same questions and like Mm -hmm. how are bands you know they're going to give you the canned version or the you know so you i don't know you got to be careful in like what you ask and how you ask it and i would say like these guys are like hilarious like they're (laughs) i mean like they're so funny you know and in in most bands like we've already interviewed for the first three issues Nice. Cool. So we're trying to get a bit of a jump on things. Yeah. Uh, Smart. Yeah. And I, all of them have just been phenomenal. And the, the content, in my opinion, is just, it, it's great. I mean, I, I'm a little biased, I'm sure. But. <laughs> yeah, but it's good when you're excited about, like, what you're doing. I mean, we get that way with the Loft Show. We were like, this show is going to be so good. And we'll tell everybody that. And it always is good. But it's just, like, you, it's, it's exciting when you are doing something that you are genuinely excited about. I, I am, and I'll, I'll say this, and this really kind of plays into y'all's podcast too, is like, this was a mistake. <laughs> I feel like most of my pursuits uh, outside of like my normal career job have been a series of mistakes, like one failure after the other. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and and some have been more successful than others. Some have been complete and utter failures, but like I, it's just kind of like, I don't know. I'm just always involved in something, but this thing is music behind monthly is is i am more excited and confident in this endeavor than anything i think i've ever done Hmm. including in my professional career yeah and uh this is not meant to take the place of my professional career what i do full-time but you know because that gives me the ability to to do this but uh you know it's um you know we'll we'll see i mean uh you know I think the community will embrace it. I hope they do because it's the only way it's going to survive. Yeah. You know, but, um, you know, we'll see. <laughs> I, I am. I'm excited. Good. Yeah. On that note, do you have any mistakes you want to share? <laughs> <laughs> God, let's see. Let me go through my Rolodex of mistakes here. <laughs> no, I don't know. Uh, this is a mistake. I mean, that kind of alludes me more to like the lighthearted and comedic, you know, of course. part of the human <laughs> thing. But, uh, and not to get too philosophical, but I feel like they're like, you know, you've seen the like the poster of like Michael Jordan talks about how many shots he's missed and how yeah. many times mm-hmm. he's been given, I think like twenty six or twenty nine times he's been given the game winning shot and law and missed, you right. know. But he, he's like these failures are why I succeed and, and yeah. it would be pretentious to say that like all my failures are why I succeed because I don't think I'm like crazy successful <laughs> and that's, success is relative anyway, but no, yeah. I'm no Michael Jordan, you know. So <laughs> but you know, I, I do kind of think that I, I, like I'm a very happy person where I am today and, and I feel like a lot of those failures, you know, depending on how you look at them, like do you choose to learn from them, things like that is, is kind of, I think is a, a huge, you know, key to 
how you live your life. I yeah. mean, yeah. just outright mistakes I've made. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I made some mistakes some I can't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there, there's some there's some funny stories. Like when I was in Los Angeles, I can remember thinking that like before this happened, like as I was like, <laughs> as I was like doing this, I was thinking this is a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, there was this producer, I mean, uh, editor, his name was uh, Jim Page, I think. Yeah, t- a TV and film producer who was uh, on Boomtown at the time. And he parked in, like, the executive lot. Like, all the important people parked in this lot that closed down early. Like, uh, I mean, like, if you parked in the executive lots, because those are the people who come to work late and go to home early. Right. And so mm-hmm. they can close that lot off and stuff. But everyone else parked in this huge parking garage. Mm-hmm. And uh, at our studio. And so they had this meeting that was like after hours and running late. There were some executives from NBC Studios coming over to our little studio off Melrose. And the two producers uh, were there. It was uh, John Avnet from uh, Fried Green Tomatoes and uh, Graham Yost, who was one of the writers on Band of Brothers. And yeah. I think he did speed and some other films and TV shows. And, uh, so there's some like big wig people in there. Yeah. <laughs> I'd, I'd gotten to know someone on a kind of a personal level, but like, I wasn't super comfortable around them either. Cause it's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, like they're the people, but, um, Jim was really cool. So the editor, Jim, who was kind of like this old Californian, like, rough and tumble kind of guy you know like you could see him like this guy probably gets up and serves before he comes to work every morning and mm-hmm. he drove it like this badass vw van yeah you know like the old 1970 and yeah. it was fucking beautiful this thing you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, like this is, you know this is what you see like on the cover of like records and like yeah so he had this and he cherished it we used to talk about that thing so they had this meeting and it was running late and meanwhile, our parking services were coming up like, hey, we need to close the executive lot. We got to get some of these cars out of here. And Jim's like, hey, I got this meeting. Can you take care of this for me? And I was just like, he hands me the keys. It was a VW van. Oh. <laughs> and I'm thinking, no shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can take care of this. He's like, just have him move it. I was like, yeah, we'll take care of it. So I'm like, have him move it my ass. I'm driving this <laughs> motherfucker, you know? <laughs> And I get in there and I realize like there's no direction on the stick shift. Mm. And it's one of those where like reverse is like not where you think it is. And it's way <laughs> wide and you have to, I mean, I grew up on a stick shift. I can drive a stick, but this was fucking complicated. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying to figure it out. I'm like stalling out. I'm like, God, please don't fuck this car up. <laughs> and so I finally get it going. I back out, I put it in the first and I'm like, I come out and I, you know, take a left on Melrose and I then take a left like on our, on the block that our studio's on, I turn into the parking garage, and then, then uh, I remember the parking attendant looking at me, is like, you got it, man, you got it? I was like, yeah, I got it, like, we're good. And so I, you know, <laughs> hit the gas, and I started in the parking garage, and I just hear crunch. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> and I ripped the fucking luggage rack off. Oh, my Because it was too tall for the parking garage. Oh, no. <laughs> and so I'm like, what? the fuck was that <laughs> i get out and one of the parking attendants is saying there and he's holding the luggage rack <laughs> he's like man you forgot this and i was like shit so i i take the luggage rack and well, i back it up and park it into like another space and i'm just like i take the luggage rack, luggage rack i take it upstairs i knock on the door where they're having this meeting and i was just like uh jim oh, gosh. <laughs> 
see you for a second. And they're all looking at me like, we're in a fucking meeting, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but they were like, like one of the other like associate producers, there was kind of like over me or whatever. She's like, yeah, you probably need to pull them out and tell them. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, you want me to pull them out of this meeting? Like, <laughs> do you know who's sitting in that fucking room yeah. right now? <laughs> so yeah, I was, you know, for a hot minute, I became this idiot who, uh, <laughs> you know, but no, nah, he was, he was so fucking cool about it. And, um, you know, just, <laughs> of course, I, I don't know why, you know, I wouldn't expect anything else from this guy. He was a hell of a cool character, but yeah, so that was a mistake. <laughs> yeah. Oh. <laughs> I felt so bad. I, like, I offered to pay for it, even though I didn't have a pot to piss in at the time. <laughs> I don't know what I was going to pay for it with, but no, he was, he was cool. Um, he had, he had no part of that, so... That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned that I boxed once upon a time. That was probably a mistake. <laughs> that was, uh, that kind of occurred quite by accident. I was, uh, you know, when I first moved back from LA to Meridian, I was bartending at the time and didn't, this is before I'd started designing for that architecture or for that signage place. And, um, we, uh, yeah, I was, you know, drinking a lot and partying a lot and, you know, bored in Meridian and catching up with some <laughs> hometown boys, you know, I hadn't been around in a long time and, you know, we were yeah. just having a good time, but like not eating all that well and just kind of out of shape. And I was like, you know, I went to my dad hoping he would any up to let me join like one of the gyms. I was like, I'm really bad out of shape. Like I probably need to get the gym. And he was like, well, my dad was in radio at the time and there was a boxing promoter at the time. He had two sons that were both inside the top 80 in the world uh i think one was to made it all the way down to like 20 something or something but wow. they were good but he was like yeah mr mcneil owes me a favor once you you know you can go out to the gym and he'll get you in shape and, <laughs> and i was just like no yeah. <laughs> under under no circumstance <laughs> am, am i going out to uh you know i mean these are rough and tumble guys this yeah. is like a neighboring county it was it wasn't like it was super close it was a drive yeah and I was just like, they're going to, you know, beat this college city boy. <laughs> they're going to beat my ass and, like, send yeah. me home with my tail tucked between my legs, you know, defeated. And, like, but he was like, no, nah, he's the most God-fearing guy. Like, you know, you'll love him. He's he's really cool. He's really great. Just go talk to him. Mm -hmm. And I went out there, and, like, I fell in love with the guy immediately. He was, you know, like this older guy. I mean, he was, like, in super shape. He could do more push-ups than anybody out there. Wow. And kind of became, you know, a bit of, like, a – you know, a mentor for me during that time. It was just a super cool guy. And, and, and I just went out there and was like, hey, I, you know, I just want to get in shape. I have no interest in hitting a bag. I certainly don't have any interest in getting hit. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to go through the little routine, you know, swing a sledgehammer on a tire. Or whatever. <laughs> and that's exactly the way it was. It was, yeah. I mean, it no air conditioning, no heaters. And it was in this garage where he kept a car that he used to tinker on but it was like this large garage and it was equipment from like 1970 yeah. you know and it was it was it was the real deal yeah um and he had all these guys who used to come in that he trained and i did that for like six months i got in excellent shape and just got bored with going through the same thing over and over and quit going and He's, you know, he called me up one day and, and kind of caught me off guard, but he was like, hey, where you been? And we, you know, we've missed seeing you. And I was just like, yeah, I've been good, just kind of bored. You know, I kind of, I got in great shape. I kind of accomplished what I wanted, and, you know, and I think I'd 
join like an adult club soccer team at the time. I was just like, I'm just going to do my own thing. He's like, well, if you know, we'd love to have you back out. If you want to come back out here, we mix it up. Yeah. You know, I think you'd, you'd like trying something else. So I was like, yeah, I'm not going to say no, I'm going to go. And it didn't cost me anything. So right. I went out there and he started getting me into like bag work, mitt work and all this other stuff. And he had this fight coming up. At this point in time, I, after a while, I, just, I was sparring. I was sparring with some guys who were pretty talented, and you know, I could hold my own. I mean, there's no way, like in in a match, I was going to win against these yeah. guys. But I was learning. And he, you know, this fight came up, and he said, you know, we've lost one of our cruiserweights in the card. That's your weight class. We need you to come in and take the spot and I was just like again Didn't under that. no circumstance <laughs> yeah. no 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 I'm doing this and there was this uh the heavyweight that trained out there he drove an hour and a half almost two hours every day to come work out Whoa. there wow and because he Mr. McNeil was that good of a trainer and yeah. his name was Kenny Craven huge guy just a monster yeah. And I just watched him fight on Layla Ali's card in Biloxi in like a, a stadium yeah. and just wow. absolutely punish this guy. Yeah. And he was, I mean, he was a, he was a monster, <laughs> a beast. And, um, I mean, I would spar with him and would like, what am I, like, why am I doing this? Like, yeah. I'd, I'd hit him and it's like, there, there's no effect. Yeah. It's like, I might as well just go hit this tree out there because you're not moving. <laughs> Hey, I remember one time he just uh, just reacting like I did something wrong and his combination, you know, you know muscle memory just kicked in and he just like, whopped me one. I was just like, oh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> We're done. <laughs> Sparring session's over. Surrender. But anyway, so uh, me and Kenny had, you know, gotten to be pretty friendly and he was like, look, man, Mr. McNeil wouldn't ask you to do this if he didn't have full confidence in you and you'll never know what it's like if you don't do it yeah. and for whatever reason that bugged me yeah. you know because i'm not the time to kind of shy away from opportunities and stuff and you know and it was like i was gonna go in and i was gonna get like my professional car it was a professional fight yeah so i was gonna hold like a boxing license you know issued by the mississippi state boxing commission and yeah. like that's real deal you know it was like i could say like oh i, I did it you yeah. know yeah. so yeah so I was like, all right, this is what we're going to do. Like, train me. We're going to start training today, like, as if I were preparing for this fight. Give me two weeks to see if I can handle it. At this point in time, I'd started working for the sign company and, you know, I had other responsibilities and stuff. I was like, let's just see if we can do it. And um, I started training in total is like anywhere from four to five hours a day wow. in addition to working. And, like, I just loved it. I loved the regimen. I loved the way I felt, I slept great at night. It was just, you know, it was awesome. So I decided to take the fight and, uh, we, uh, you know, day of, it was just like, I wasn't particularly nervous. I was just ready, mm. you know, ready to go. And yeah. we had a, you know, we had a, a fight plan and everything and a strategy and you know, I'd sparred with a guy I was boxing against. He was a first timer too. Uh, but I think he, he played baseball for like Southern Miss or something like that. I think he was like a pitcher. He was like a lot shorter than me, but he was a lot stockier and his arms were crazy long. We had the same reach. Wow. And I can remember sparring with him and he had this haymaker he would throw, which in sparring, like when you're learning to box and you're actually boxing, like there are no haymakers. It's right. combinations and jabs and stuff like that. But he had this haymaker and I swear to God, I couldn't see it coming. and. <laughs> I'd been hit by him before. I knew like, 
watch out for that damn thing. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I had trained hard enough to where I, I knew I was in good enough shape to go the distance, and I knew I could hang with him. I didn't think I was going to be able to knock him out, and I knew that he had a lot of power and I could get hurt. But uh, it was in my hometown. It was probably, I don't know, maybe a 1,000 people there. And it was like there was no way in hell I was going to lay down for the guy. Yeah. I was like, he's going to have to knock me cold out or yeah. kill me because yeah. I'm not going down, <laughs> right. you know. But he, uh, in that first round, he damn sure did both of those. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> we got in there, and I was just so excited to fight and so pumped up. Like, I kind of, like, abandoned, you know, the flight plan, and <laughs> I started fighting his fight, and he – he threw one haymaker and like completely caught me off guard. And then yeah. I was, was kind of screwed up, you know, for the rest of that round. I, I remember taking like a standing knee or what they call a standing eight counts where you take a knee when you get in trouble. Yeah. I got in trouble early and got back up and he knocked me down two more times wow. in that fight. And the second time he knocked me down, I damn near went through the ropes. Yeah. And I stood up and the referee, I don't know what in the hell he was thinking. I guess I just, happened to make eye contact happened to hold my gloves up but he you know checked me back in Dang. so we're getting ready to go at it and then the bell rings and like i've got it on film you can watch me like walking back to my corner and i'm punch drunk i mean i look like i've had i look like i've drank a case of beer yeah <laughs> you know and uh damn near fall out of my stool and like um my trainer poured ice water on my head, and I just remember it was, like, snapping back to life. He was like, are you mad? Are you mad? I was like, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm pissed at this yeah. point. Before it was fun. Now I'm pissed. Right. And he was like, well, who are you mad at? I was like, I, I'm, I knew what he was asking me. Like, I'm mad at myself. I didn't do anything I was trying to do. I yeah. went in there to fight. I, did, I wasn't boxing. And he was like, use your damn jab. Stay the hell away from him. Just go the distance you know, box. Yeah. And so I, uh, I got in there and like, I remember thinking like, I, I can't knock this guy out. Cause in the first round, it's not like I just completely got beat. I landed some great punches. Mm -hmm. I mean like some really powerful punches. And, uh, I remember like my strongest was my left hook. I remember I threw one where I literally came off my feet you know, like, and, and just hit him square in the side of the face. Yeah. Wow. And it's like he didn't move. It was like hitting that tree. Dang. And um, so I was like, I, I, I don't think I can knock him out. I can't get hit by him again because, like, you know, at this point, like, I'm kind of worried about my brain a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And um, so I just I started boxing using my jab and – just trying to stay the hell away from him. And before I knew it, by the end of the second round, he was bleeding out of his nose, bleeding out of his mouth. And he kind of, you know, didn't really know where to put his hands because I'd landed a couple of good body shots too. And he was, you know, didn't know where to go. By the end of the second round, I was like, I got him. Yeah. We're not going, we're not going the distance. I'm taking him out in the third round. And he couldn't breathe because he was bleeding. And the third round came back and, Went back to boxing, went back working his face and his body, and same thing. He didn't know where to put his hands, and he started bleeding again, and he got frustrated and tried to back me into a corner, and I lured him back there and then knocked him out. Wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 yeah. 
But uh, the reason why that was a mistake is because I, I would have had to have been concussed. Like, I, I had issues after that. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was like a week before I felt like I could, you know, pay attention again. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah so, <laughs> probably not, you know, the best, <laughs> yeah. most healthy <laughs> pursuit. Yeah. Especially when you're just like fucking around. I'm just going to do this for fun and right. see what happens. I'm like, just trying to get into shape. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but no, it was, it was fun. It was a cool experience overall, but I, uh, yeah, I don't want to do it again. <laughs> and you have a professional record. Yeah. One and oh, undefeated. Yeah. That's right. It's pretty, it's pretty great. <laughs> I did. I was slated to fight twice more. And, um, before the second fight, I, I'd moved over here and got with a trainer and, their sparring sessions was was a lot more intense. It wasn't even really sparring, in my opinion. Yeah. It was more boxing, and mm-hmm. I got in a guy who was you know far more skilled and had a lot more fights under his belt. Yeah, and uh, separated rib um, sparring with him, and that took Jeez. me out of the second fight. And then I re-injured this the same thing going when you know, I was gonna fight that next time and was on the bill and everything, and then. Same thing, separated rib. And if you've ever had a separated rib, you're not training. Yeah, you're not. You're definitely not fighting anybody. <laughs> so that after that, I was like, "Shit, to hell with this!" Like I'm, I'm working. I gotta go to work every day. I can't. Yeah. You know, this is too much. Right. And I think I made like six hundred dollars off the first fight, and I'm like, "Yeah, there's <laughs> the amount of time and energy yeah. and effort I put yeah. into this to right. like." You know, lose a lot of brain cells. It's really yeah. not worth the six hundred bucks. But man, those guys! I tell you what, that you know, for what they do, I mean, it's uh, you know, full on respect for anyone who pursues that. And you yeah, know, it's <laughs> it's the hell of a thing to do. Do you have any plugs? Like, you know, plug music, music him now, like the Instagram website. Just say when the um, release yeah, date. Yeah, we're you know kind of redeveloping some things at the website, but it's operational. I mean, if you're looking for you know a calendar of what's playing in Birmingham, www.musicbham.com is a great resource. Yeah. Um, we we try to keep it as up to date as possible. You know, what it'll you'll see it in print with Music Beham Monthly comes out June first, mm-hmm. and um, you know in the meantime, check us out. We're on Facebook and Instagram. It's just at Music Beham. Yeah. And we're giving away tickets like almost daily. Nice. Uh, so if you're, you know, looking for a hot ticket to a show, like you can, you know, you can come there and, and win some tickets. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Everybody <laughs> should do that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> for sure. Thanks awesome. for being on. Yeah, Man, thanks really for having me. It. It's super cool. Yeah. I, I'm so fascinated by the podcast world and, you know, when I, found you guys you know this was a mistake i was just like that's a really intriguing <laughs> title too. <laughs> we were trying to think about the stuff that we know anything about and that's about all we could come up with <laughs> <laughs> well, well i want to hear about some of your mistakes oh, oh we don't have time i see how this works yeah you have it's people on to feel better about yourself yeah. right yeah <laughs> <laughs> fantastic <laughs> It's awesome. been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, thank you for having me. Thanks again. Super Thanks. cool. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Uh, this is a mistake. <laughs>